Let's stay on the topic of masks for just a moment. Some districts are now mask optional. After a judge's ruling on Friday, the Pritzker administration is appealing. But for now, the rules on school masking depend on where you live. Now, yesterday on Reset, we heard from Chicago area parents about what's going on at their kids' schools. We had callers and guests alike sharing their opinions, some of which were hard to fact check in that moment. So we thought it would be nice to check in with Dr. Taramina, infectious disease specialist from Dooley Health and Care. She joins us every Monday, but she's made some time for us today, too. Hi, Dr. Taramina. Hey, Sasha. So before we get into masking in schools, doctor, what do you make of the news that the governor plans to roll back mask mandates in some public indoor spaces? You know, I think that's the way that this is going, a sort of state by state. We're hearing various different states sort of planning that exit strategy. And that's what we need. We need something that focuses on the science, focuses on the data and gives a stepwise sort of, you know, plan as we move forward. If we're going to have a mask mandate fall, we need to know when that's going to be, why that day and time is chosen, and what are some of the parameters that would indicate if we have to backpedal. And once we are armed with that information, we can prepare a little bit more for what is to come in the weeks to come, as opposed to sort of what happened in the suburbs this week, where everything just sort of went into chaos overnight. So as a as a Doctor, when when you think about that decision making process right on the political side of things, what is it that you hope political leaders like Pritzker keep in mind about covid mitigations and when to start rolling them back? I think the, that history is going to look favorably upon political leaders that really kept close in touch with very respectable um, epidemiologists, infection specialists, and folks that were able to help guide with science. Um, this is not about politics. We've said a million times over that this virus just does not care uh, your political background or intentions. Um, it, it is going to be something that we need to focus on epidemiologically what is happening in our you know neighborhoods in our state and in states that are similar to ours so we can make the most informed decisions with the data we have at that time and none of these are absolute so there has to be some flexibility to understand that those same scientists may have to backpedal and advise politicians who are responsible for these decisions uh, in a different way as days move on. All right, let's get to the main reason we called you back on the program this week, Doctor. Some of the comments that were made on Reset by some passionate parents yesterday arguing both for and against masking in schools, right? One of our guests was Heather Dusick. She's a parent from Barrington, and she supports mask-optional policies. Let's play one statement that she made. Even the CDC has said the cloth masks really do not stop transmission. Alternatively, N95s do work to protect the wearer. All right, I want to break this down here. Starting with the cloth masks, Dr. Taramina, how effective are they? So they're not nearly as effective as a properly fitting surgical mask or certainly an N95 mask. And we've moved in that direction by the end of Delta and certainly into Omicron because we had strains that are so much more contagious than what we saw during the alpha, beta, and gamma you know, spreading circulation, where essentially any face covering would block a percentage of these droplets and aerosols and give us at least some protection with the idea and the concept that my mask protects you, your mask protects me. 
But we moved into these variants, Delta and Omicron, that are so much more contagious that the mask needed to protect the wearer a little bit more. So I'm in agreement. Right now, uh, children at school wearing a Paw Patrol cloth mask were probably not getting much protection to that child. Mm -hmm. If that child were to cough or sneeze, yes, a significant portion of the droplets will be captured by that mask. But in order to protect everyone, both the wearer and the exposed, using a a well-fitting mask like a KN95 is going to be the standard. And I, I want to be clear what we heard from Heather there. I've heard from many parents, right? So this is sort of a, an opinion uh, across the board. You're saying, Dr. Teramina, that kids should actually be wearing a KN95? At this point, if we're going to be having a efficacy of masking option in the schools. The irony is the same folks that are saying that it should be mask optional also concur with the fact that an N95 mask will give the best protection. There are no N95 masks indicated for pediatrics. It's a KN95 is going to be the best alternative. So in theory, a fully KN95 wearing environment for small children would be very, very protected. That being said, there's a numerous other challenges with that concept and those masks are less comfortable, etc. Mm-hmm. But as we move into this mask optional environment and as these mitigations fall, if you have that concern for your child and their exposure risks, a KN95 is going to be the standard. I would not be sending a child to school who has multiple risk factors for a more severe COVID course without being armed with as many appropriate layers of mitigation as possible. So are are people who wear an N95 mask, are they protected from virus droplets, even if the folks around them aren't wearing masks? More so than than if they weren't. So essentially, an N95 mask is going to filter 95% of the particles, aerosols, and droplets that we're exposed to. So a much larger uh, capacity to block infectious droplets and aerosols that could be carried by somebody. Um, there is data to show, you know, looking at cloth masks, at surgical masks, at N95 masks, When you're in an environment, in theory, where everyone is wearing N95 masks and at Dooley Health and Care, we moved to that concept in our patient care over the last Omicron surge because we didn't want to have any inter-office transmission. And that is the safest possible environment. Mm -hmm. It would take many hours of continuous exposure if folks are all wearing N95 masks to have a breakthrough case. While simple surgical masks and even a cloth mask, it could still be a matter of uh, being in a room for an hour or less where you could have transmission take place. We also hear parents who, who don't support mask wearing in schools say that, well, kids aren't as impacted, right? That we should be more worried about the flu. Uh, Specifically, we heard an assertion yesterday, Dr. Taramina, that more children died from the flu in 2019 than died of COVID-19 from October 2020 to October 2021. Is that true? Can you put that in context for us? (laughs) That is true. But, you know, we have to look at, you know, we're sort of comparing apples and oranges here. The highest uh, number of flu deaths in a single season from um, uh, in in pediatrics is 188 since we've recorded data. Um, And, you know, it's still something that is uh, vaccine preventable in many ways, preventing severe illness and death from influenza. And there are some years that we have very dismal uh, vaccination rates. We also have to take into context that one of our anti 
antivirals for influenza, Tamiflu, is something that could be given to pediatric patients. We don't have that oral option for pediatric patients, uh, Paxlovid for 12 and up, but not for the littlest kids. Mm. There's been right around a 1,000 pediatric deaths due to COVID in the U.S. since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, that's enough to have driven COVID-related deaths to one of the main causes of death in pediatrics across the board. This, in general, all of these viral illnesses, influenza, COVID, or others, uh, the risk of death is exceptionally, exceptionally small. So I'm, I'm not in disagreement there. Children are much less likely to have severe COVID illness, severe influenza illness, and complications, including death. What we're missing is the fact that most studies will show probably somewhere around 15 to 20% of these kids who recover from COVID will go on to have more protracted symptoms for weeks to months afterwards. That long COVID type syndrome. And that's something that can impact a child adversely for weeks and months to come. That's not what we see with influenza. And because of that, we have to still take into account the fact that we have a virus with potential long-term implications mm -hmm. that don't include death. And and I'll repeat something I, I said yesterday where one death of a child is too many. It absolutely is. I, I view nearly all of these as being vaccine preventable. We certainly have those cases of, of individuals, including children who are fully vaccinated, but so severely immune suppressed or having chronic health issues where COVID is something that caused an untimely death for them. Um, and we have examples of perfectly healthy children that have passed away and perfectly healthy children that have gone from vibrant and participating in their sports and participating productively at high levels in school to now being fatigued, having chronic headaches, having low-grade fevers for weeks and months afterwards. You know, sometimes I have to have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with my patients, you know, and say, uh, polio didn't kill kids either, it, but we all are aware historically of the after effects of polio mm -hmm. in so many children and rendering them crippled and other things. It's it's one of those those conversation points where it's just not all about death. It, it's about the dramatic impacts that can sometimes happen in yeah. these children. I want to hit on two more issues concerning masks and, and kids with you, Dr. Termina, while I have you. I see a lot of children, mine included wearing the the KN95s uh, and they look a little loose right my daughter yesterday we were leaving out the door and she swapped masks cuz she was like oh I, I can't wear this or and if i when i slid it and tried to fit it better on her face she was like well now i'm choking so so what is better a loose fitting KN95 or a tight cloth mask Oh, boy, that would be like splitting hairs. I don't know if we have studies showing exactly that. In general, a KN95 is going to have four or five layers of, of fabric in it. And I think that trying to have the best fit on a KN95 is still going to be better than a cloth mask. A cloth mask is absolutely going to give some protection if your daughter is contagious and coughs or sneezes and will capture some of those droplets. Of course, if that mask gets moist or uh, otherwise soiled, it should be replaced. Um, but in reality, and that goes with all masks, but in reality, to protect the wearer, we're talking about KN95s. The issue of uh, ch children's mental health also came up in yesterday's call-in segment. Um, have there been studies on, on mental health concerns or, or complications for, for children from wearing masks? There certainly have. And there's this is another topic that uh, when searching for a particular answer or study or result, 
in line with what your hypothesis is. If you believe that there are significant mental health implications of wearing masks, you will find data and research to support that. If you are in the camp that these masks are not causing significant mental health issues, you'll find data to support that. In general, across the board, some of the thoughts of children's can't breathe or they're retaining carbon dioxide, that's all been disproven. Um, for the amount of anxiety kids feel uh, wearing masks, it's actually been shown that it's more anxiety provoking kind of in the environment that we're in right now where some are masked and some aren't and kids don't know how they're going to be approached and what if their friend is wearing one and they're not. Kids thrive on consistency. And when it, we talk about the entire mental health implications of this pandemic, these children have been warriors and heroes. We've asked them to bear a lot of the burden of all of the change that they've had to experience. And in many cases, uh, the burden of some uh, adults uh, kind of directing how their day-to-day -day should go. I think the biggest failure we have had in terms of our mental health for our children is looking back on this, schools in many ways never should have closed. There were ways way back when to keep these kids in school, and that has been the biggest boost to their mental health, mm. being back at school, even in a mask, versus being home or in a virtual setting. That isolation was far more damaging. That was Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much for joining us and breaking that down today, doctor. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.